That's Jeremy Bryan. And that's Caroline Steele. And this is HR Alchemist. Alchemist. sharing a chat that we had with Rakesh Kasturi, aka The Sprint Doctor. He's been working for the last 10 years in innovation and collaboration. Although we recorded this a few weeks ago, the content and Rakesh's work will be useful to most of you in these uncertain times when we're all forced to switch to innovative methods of collaboration. One of the first things that came to mind when uh, I was reading Creative Confidence was where do you draw the line of innovation and feeling like you are creating a product that is what you have in mind, but then you have to take into account how people use it. At a certain point, it doesn't become the product you wanted to develop. And so where do you let go of the original idea? That's a great question. For me, it all starts with the user. And um, letting go of the idea is something... I would train very, very early on because it's very easy for teams to get attached to fall in love with their ideas very quickly. And the earlier you try to prevent it or make people aware of it, the easier it is for everyone to let go because eventually you've noticed how startups pivot, right? So they start with a certain idea in the beginning and they notice that, okay, my user actually has a different problem or actually wants to solve something else. My feeling is that personally it's it's all up to figuring out the right solution for the user together with the user and making sure that it's really something of value. And also there's, there's this classic example of, is it a real painkiller that really addresses a pain or is it just a vitamin that's nice to have? So then we go into all these questions of business models, but uh, eventually it comes down to the user and the problem that you really want to solve. One of the clients that I'm working with currently is a technology company and they love to experiment with their products, right? And I think partly that's kind of the culture in startups is, you know, sometimes you don't have a clear vision. You're not even sure what problem you're solving or you start with an idea, but you don't have a concrete goal in mind or a vision in mind. So in a culture where experimentation is really big and, you know, products are sort of more in a three-month or four-month cycle to see if it works or not and they pivot really quickly, what would you say in that sense? Like, is having a vision and a clear idea at the beginning really important? Very much, because it's very easy to get lost in this cycle of experimentation, but you're, again, not doing it for the sake of experimentation, but there's a user or a customer on the other side of it. And this is the person that you're constantly keeping in mind and making sure that, okay, is, is everything that we do aligned with this one person? And another question to ask would be, are we as a team working collaboratively and effectively? And are we aligned together on our product ideas in such a way that it's giving value to the customer? So these are questions that you constantly need to be asking or the team needs to ask itself in order to have these temperature checks to say, okay, we're doing cool stuff, it's great, we're all high energy, and this is an awesome team, they're amazing at coding, or they're really great at business dev, whatever that is. But if you don't keep the customer's pains or you know, the need for value in mind, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's quite, quite empty in some sense. 
what would be kind of the first thing that you would do when you go in to get everyone on the same page? Usually the first thing to do is alignment. One of my favorite exercises is something called how to make toast. So it's basically gathering the team together and everyone individually draws their idea of how they would make toast without any words. This really opens up the topic of perspective and getting this very diverse team. Although they're very aligned sometimes, even the most mature of teams will have very diverging points of view. So it's very important to get that together in the room and say, guys, can we align on what it is that your customer is going through and how you're working together to deliver value to your customer. So this alignment is, is really the very, very first step. And without this, I feel there's no point in working on any other fancy tool or method or whatever it is, or even going in for some sprint interventions. But at the same time, when you, when you talk about making toast, something as simple as that, and everyone's got different ideas of what toast should be like, and that alignment of can we all agree what, first of all, toast needs to look like and then how we're going to get there, I think is a very simple way to start the exercise of getting that kind of alignment. I was going to ask about the sprint aspect of the title. Like, do you work in, in like two-week sprints or do you work in a certain amount of time? So the word sprint has multiple connotations, especially in the agile world. They understand sprints to be bursts of work. Like it could be a week long, could be two weeks long. It's just cycles of work. You have any number of days and you call that a sprint in which you do some targeted work, you're very focused, and you're trying to get some clear outcomes out of this session. So this happens, but more on the engineering side of things, when you're really convinced that a product needs certain features and you're going and building it. So till some time back, this was the classic definition of sprints in the agile world. And then when the design sprints came along, they happened a bit more upstream. So you could do a design sprint way early on when you had an idea for a product and you could figure out all the uncertainties around it using the design sprint method. And the classic version of the design sprint method, which actually comes from Jake Knapp and John Saratsky from Google Ventures, it was five days. So it's starting with understanding the problem that you want to solve and going all the way to user testing it on the fifth day after building a prototype on the fourth day. So that's the classic version. I try to do usually three days because it's very difficult for a corporate team to allot five full days for a whole sprint session. Or I try to build a very sustainable uh, kind of sprint uh, package for teams where they can combine both learning and doing, which means so over a period of time, let's say a full quarter, imagine doing three or four different sets of sprints where you not only solve a certain problem, but I slowly give up my responsibility to the team and eventually the last two sprints are actually fully run and facilitated by the team themselves. So it gives them a lot of ownership, it gives them a lot of learning, and they really power through with some very good results at the end of the quarter that they can share with the whole company. And we also have checks with senior management in between because you need their buy-in, honestly, <laughs> and you need the approval. And it's always great to have them as part of the decision-making process. And when you're doing a sprint with your clients, do you often have teams that are remote? 
And how do you factor that in? Yeah, a remote has today become a very integral part of uh, collaboration, I'd say, when it comes to distributed teams, especially. And I personally don't see it as a separate thing, but I see it more as an integral part of how a team would work. It's just that most teams are not used to it. And I personally believe there's a clear reason for this. We've all grown up in classroom atmospheres. We've been in classrooms where people have told us, you know, you need to work together, you need to work on projects with people, and it's all going to happen here or, you know, somewhere close by. So you're not used to collaborating somewhere very far away, and you don't really imagine it very easily uh, for starters. So now I feel we have the tools and the technology that really enables remote collaboration. What I feel strongly about is that Today, when you talk about remote collaboration, people just get on a video call, talk around and about things, and then go back and continue to do their work and keep jumping between email, Slack, or other tools to communicate. I feel this is a huge loss in productivity because you're not really working in real time. You're just checking in with each other maybe and saying, okay, I'm going to do these things or you do these things and then you go back and do these things. How would it be if you could actually do that work in real time? So this was the challenge that I faced and uh, luckily bumped into uh, digital whiteboards like Mural or Miro. And these are a huge part of my work today where, for example, I use them to even collect initial expectations or research before I do a sprint or a workshop session, or even during a whole sprint where you can actually get people to book time slots for an hour or 90 minutes over a week. And we could have the same impact, the same results, and the same ideas or the diversity of ideas or involvement uh, from the team as you would in a real uh, in-person workshop. And the best advantage of having a digital whiteboard here is that it makes real-time collaboration happen. Because you can imagine the three of us maybe all calling over Zoom, for example, and at the same time, we would be able to look at the same things. And maybe each one of us can make a post-it note, write something about it, and we can even vote on things that we feel are the most important to be prioritized. Now, this is game-changing because earlier, compared to being on a passive Skype call where you can't really do much, this brings it down to the idea of sitting together on a table, although it's a virtual one in this sense, but you still work on things together. And uh, I feel this has really changed uh, the idea of collaboration and productivity. But what's your journey been like and how did you end up in, in Berlin and what you're doing? Like, let's go back to, because you're from somewhere close to Bangalore, India. And uh, how did you end up in Berlin and doing the work that you're doing at the moment? So um, I'm a reformed engineer. <laughs> That's the best way of putting it for most people in my generation who are from India. I think they can relate to that. <laughs> you usually have uh, your engineering or medical studies as a rite of passage. <laughs> and then you realize that, oh, I probably wasn't supposed to do this. <laughs> So that was um, sort of how I started too, um, but I decided I would still take a pathway less travel there because I found it exciting. At that point, I chose aeronautics, so went um, into aeronautics and uh, space studies, which which was really, really exciting. And 
a master's in uh, numerical science and computation uh, at the TU Munich. That's what brought me first uh, to Germany. And then I decided I'd get some experience in that field. I started working in the automobile industry because I realized that um, the aviation industry was very slow. So I couldn't imagine myself working on one wing for, I don't know, three or five years, which is the usual life cycle. But in cars, there were similar problems. There were more problems, and they really were burning to solve them. So I found that to be a very exciting field. And I was working in virtual engineering, which was basically uh, modeling an entire car virtually on high-performance computers. And you could simulate the physics of airflow inside and around it. And through that, you would understand the aerodynamics, you could understand the acoustics, how would a passenger sitting inside the car feel, what would he or she hear at high speeds when cruising along the autobahn, or how does it look like when the car heats up, is the air conditioning working? So th this was really cool because I was working with designers and engineers together, so I was like the guy in between, and always bringing different kinds of people together to explore, okay guys, how can we you know, do something virtual today? <laughs> and <laughs> how can we reduce those development costs by building expensive uh, models and instead do it fully virtually? But then I realized that I wasn't really passionate about cars or anything. It was just a way of getting from A to B for me. And, and the auto industry is also very risk averse, as, as we all know. There's only one Tesla today. So I said, okay, what can I do to expand my horizons? And I wanted to take this aspect of working with different people, creating new things, but having some tangible impact there. And that's when I discovered the whole field of innovation management, which was very much in its infancy at that point. There wasn't even the post of innovation manager in companies. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll just go freelance and I'll create it. <laughs> Let's see how that works. And I got very lucky during my first and second years, uh, got to collaborate with a cool Swiss company called Brainstore. And they had been working on ideation and idea generation processes for more than 20 years in Switzerland. And we had a great time doing all kinds of projects all over the world. And that was sort of my point of entry into the field of innovation. And then I've just been continuing since then um, and working in various capacities for different clients, uh, well, globally, in fact. For a team that can't afford to have sort of a five-day sprint intervention, what's something kind of DIY, design thinking, intervention thing that they can do? Well, I, I can think of two things that your team can do, especially uh, extrapolating from the how to make toast idea. So if you can gather your team together and try to visually map how your business works together, um, it might take a day, it might take two, or I don't know, it depends on what you're working on. But at the end of it, everyone will have a good understanding of what it is that you guys are working on. And that's literally the best and simplest thing that you can do. And most people think it could be a waste of time because, you know, of course, we have some processes, you can look at this, but there's nothing like being in the same room with your team together and really mapping it out visually on the walls and getting that basic understanding. The second thing is to like talk to each other and know how to do that. So maybe do some very 
effective conversations on what's not really working. So one of my favorite methods here is to do what's called a stinky fish. If you open a refrigerator, <laughs> if you have a fish that's been inside, it stinks and you really want to throw it out as soon as possible, right? So <laughs> imagine something like that, that you have something that you've been keeping inside, you're letting it fester. It could be could be anything. It could just be that you're saying, hey, I don't like the lights in this room. It's too bright when we work here all the time. It could be as trivial as that to I don't like the way our company or team or startup is moving. I don't think these strategic decisions are working, whatever it is. But to have a non-judgmental session together where you can talk about your troubles and anxieties in a very open way without feeling unsafe or with, with really having that safety and security. So it's usually better done with a facilitator, someone who can guide you through the process. But if you don't even have that, try to just go for this. I think these are two things that would bring you a lot of value. If people had to like find you online, where should they look? I think the simplest way is uh, LinkedIn or <laughs> website. I have a very minimal website right now because, um, yeah, we're just in the phase of redesigning it. But LinkedIn would be perfect. And uh, there you can get to see all the stuff that I'm doing. And the most latest excursion into uh, this world of uh, remote collaboration has been a product called the Life Sprint which uh, we created last year, uh, inspired by the Google Design Sprints. And this really tries to help uh, and support people to get unstuck from their career challenges. Because today, nonlinear careers um, are the norm, but career coaching or planning hasn't changed or been disrupted for, for ages. So this is where we saw an opportunity to say, hey, if we could actually impact anyone sitting in the planet, if they could join a virtual session from their sofa. And we not only help them get unstuck, but we also help them implement their ideas over a three-week time period. And that's basically how the live sprint was born. Thank you so much, Rakesh, for taking the time to speak with us. Feel free to reach out to him on LinkedIn and reach out to us. Let us know what are your teams currently struggling with? What topics are most relevant? And are you someone that would have something to say about this on HR Alchemists? Thanks for listening and stay safe out there. 